today on Ag News Daily. When I joined Groundwork Bioag, I was really drawn to the uh, specialization that the company has and the focus in manufacturing mycorrhizal uh, fungi. Um, so it's inoculant that um, is applied to corn, soybeans, cotton. Well, happy Halloween, listeners. You're in for a spooky episode today with Tanner Delaney here bringing you some of the latest headlines, right, Delaney? That's right. And I figured out yesterday when you said Halloween's Eve or whatever you use, it should be Happy Hollows Eve is the correct term for the day before Halloween. Ah, yes. I was informed that the difference between trick-or-treating and beggar's night is uh, the night in which those are hosted. So beggar's night is the night before Halloween and the trick-or-treat is on Halloween. Yes, that's right. As Well, that's what it is here in Des Moines. I think other places might do other things. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it's another one of those holidays that I need to do some more homework on. Apparently, yes. Well, at least I did my homework on the weather. And we pretty much nailed it yesterday with the forecast that was put out. Today, we're still looking at large areas of freeze warnings. Of course, Right here in central Iowa, as we record, it is below freezing at this point. These freeze warnings will be in effect for a large part of the eastern and southern Midwest, as well as part of the Delta region in central to eastern Oklahoma. They could see temperatures fall as low as 22 degrees. Another freeze warning will take in effect overnight into Wednesday, where temperatures are expected to be as low as 27 degrees in that Oklahoma region. Central Indiana saw temperatures around 25 degrees. Their freeze weather continues again tonight, just like that for our friends in Oklahoma. The biggest thing with today is we actually have a wind chill factor. Strong winds are expected to rip through Iowa, especially northeastern Iowa up to 45 miles per hour. There is a chance of light snow, but nothing to accumulate, Delaney. Well, I'm not ready for the snow, Tanner, but it's coming nonetheless. Tanner, how would you like to take a boat ride in a pumpkin vessel? <laughs> it sounds sketch. Uh, it is, I'm guessing, but... In honor of Halloween today, we've got a fun little story here in the Magnetic Ag Newsletter I thought I'd share with our listeners. A gentleman from Missouri, Steve Cooney, decided to make himself a pumpkin boat, which was a 1,208-pound pumpkin boat dubbed the Huckleberry, and he took it out for a spin on the Missouri River for about 11 hours, Tanner. Uh, there was another person with him or a couple people with him in kayaks following long to make sure, I guess, in case his pumpkin boat sank or had issues, he would be there or they would be there to help him in case of emergency uh, because the the Missouri River is cold this time of year, Tanner, as you guessed. But uh, he started at 7.30 a.m. in Kansas City and arrived in Napoleon, Missouri at 6.18 p.m., for a 38-mile journey along the Missouri in his pumpkin paddle boat. Yeah, I was not expecting you to say it was an 11-hour journey. I figured it'd just be put it in the water, took a picture, <laughs> and got back out. Oh, no. He took it very seriously. Wow. Well, uh, back to some more serious news. We did get our harvest progress report again 
but precipitation delays scattered throughout the week didn't make as large jumps as expected. According to the USDA crop progress report, 71% of corn and 85% of beans have been harvested so far. This is slightly behind where progress was this time last year. So amazing what a little bit of rain can do. Growers will be back in the field this week. North Dakota farmers woke up to find significant snowfall, which might make their progress a little bit more difficult. But as you look at the maps, Delaney, it looks like uh, Missouri is 84%, Tennessee is 92%, Kentucky 85%, Kansas 89%, Texas mostly 93% harvested. You get up into Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, all 75% or less on the corn side of things. For soybean, a large majority of the area has seen and made significant progress. Uh, of course, when you look here at the Midwest, Iowa is at 93% completed. Most North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, all above 95, as well as Minnesota. Indiana and Illinois still have a little work to do themselves uh, as far as soybean harvest progress goes. Yeah, absolutely. And Tanner, I know you're still chugging along, but it seems like a lot of folks here around at least central Iowa are seeming to wrap up. So just in time for some of these nice winter storms that could be headed to different parts of the country or have already headed to other parts of the country. But switching tracks here, Tanner, this week we've got the Federal Reserve meeting going on Tuesday and Wednesday, and the Fed fund is giving it a 0% chance of seeing an interest rate hike here in the month of November. Although the odds of a rate hike in December remain at 24%, the odds of a rate hike in January are nearly 1 in 3 or 33%. The market has rarely been right about what the actions will be that the Federal Reserve will take in the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see if analyst expectations are correct this go around, Tanner, but we should get some more concrete answers as to the Fed's monetary policy, maybe as early as Wednesday of this coming of this week. Yeah, my gut is telling me that there's a hike coming this week. Uh, mm -hmm. We haven't had significant negative news. We haven't had anything that's really going to be earth shattering. And I would take that calmness, you know, outside of uh, <clears throat> what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, I would take that as a all status is okay. And we might see that hike, even though they're saying a 0% chance. Well, I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah. The USDA announced on Friday it's going to put together a $3 billion disaster relief plan for commodity and specialty crop producers for natural disasters that happened in 2022. This comes through the ERP. Farm Service Agency stated that at least a third consecutive year, farmers faced weather challenges and this emergency relief process will be open. So instead of two program phases, the agency will now conduct both processes at the same time concurrently. Agency officials believe this will increase the efficiency for their department and assist those in need in a much faster fashion. We also saw, Delaney, that China upgraded their diplomatic ties with Colombia. Colombia has been a long ally of theirs. They've elevated these strategic partnerships 
to continue to boost their relationship with Latin America. They are looking at a strategic position that will strengthen their foothold in that part of the world. Two countries upgraded their treaty that was originally put in place in 1980. And uh, this will be now the ability for the second largest economy in the world to pump goods and retain access to strong natural resources in that area. China looks to strengthen their trade relationships with South America, and we will see what the U.S. has to do in response to this upgraded partnership. Well, it sounds like the U.S. may not be in a great position because China's foreign minister, Wang Yi, on Sunday made it clear that the United States has a lot of work to do before President Jinping is willing to meet with President Biden in San Francisco during the Asian Pacific Conference that's happening next month. The foreign minister stated that the road to the San Francisco summit will not be a smooth one. He met with President Biden and top administration folks in D.C. over the weekend to work toward a possible bilateral meeting during the APEC meeting in two weeks. But that did not reportedly go very well and included discussions on China and U.S. military activity, finance, science and technology, as well as the investment in the environment within China and the conflicts going on in Ukraine and the Middle East. Sounds like they had good discussions, but maybe not discussions headed in the right direction, Tanner. And therefore, China issued the statement saying "Mm, it was unlikely, perhaps, that they would be meeting face-to-face in a sit-down meeting here coming up. So a headline to watch there, but we'll see how that progresses. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be one that'll be important, obviously, as we discussed yesterday in our market discussion for us as well. What's important for those fishermen in Alaska is they've received the green light to harvest Red King crab. Their first time in two years, they've seen a slight reprieve to where their low numbers are coming in, targeting those low numbers to due to the larger influx of warmer water in their region. There was no such rebound for snow crab, however. So Red King crab will be the focus. If you're a crab legs fan, Delaney, Alaskan fishermen are excited that they can now fish for those in the Bering Sea without any restrictions. My last headlines are just a couple of updates from the Gaza region. Israeli forces said that they struck some 300 Hamas targets overnight, including military compounds and underground tunnels, as well as they uh, continue their ground offensive to move forward. They did successfully rescue an Israeli soldier. This is the first uh, successful hostage recovery since the beginning of the attack. But Israeli prime minister says they've not ruled out a pause in the fighting, but has stated that it is highly unlikely, even though a large push from humanitarian efforts are stating that it is necessary to rescue those civilians trapped in the area. That's what I've got for news today, Delaney. Yeah, I was just going to add to the Israel-Hamas conflict and share a quick headline update here related to the global fertilizer supply. Uh, Rabobank has done some analyzing, and although right now it's small direct risks to the global fertilizer market and demand, they're saying longer term, if the conflict does escalate, 
we could see higher oil and natural gas prices coming this coming fall and winter. Of course, Israel accounts for about 7% of the global potash exports and 3% of phosphate exports. And these rock resources used to produce those two products are located mostly in the Negev Desert, which is more than 60 miles from the Gaza Strip where the fight is taking place. But 60 miles later, that's feeling pretty close to me. So uh, as of right now, everything they said seems to be functioning and flowing as it should. However, within the context of a broader mobilization, there is risk in the future that there could be some disruptions to logistics, to manufacturing, but there's nothing to report as of right now. So just something to keep an eye on, nothing to report but just, you know, analysts, of course, are looking longer term and bigger picture here, and that is the potential risk. So that is the final headline I have here, aside from taking a look at the overnight markets, which are fairly flat here this morning, Tanner, as we chat. December corn is down a quarter of a cent at 4.78. Nove soybeans down three quarter of a cent at 12.82 in the wheat pits here. December Chicago contract down eight and a half cents at five fifty-seven and a half. Hard red December winter wheat is down eight and three quarters cents at six thirty-six and a quarter. And spring wheat down five pennies this morning at seven twelve and three quarters. Livestock yesterday, of course, had a pretty good day on the board as the December contract added a dollar oh two and a half at a buck eighty-three twenty-five. January feeders up a dollar seventeen and a half to close at two thirty six eighty seven, and December lean hogs this morning will open at seventy one seventeen and a half on the board, up seventy cents yesterday during the trading session. Tanner for today's Tech Tuesday conversation, turning it over to a conversation I had with Groundworks BioAg Andrew Duff. Well, for today's Tech Tuesday conversation, I'm super excited to be joined today by the General Manager for North America, Andrew Duff for Groundwork BioAg. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Delaney. It's an honor to be here. appreciate a chance to visit with you today. Absolutely. And I know some of our listeners may recognize Groundwork BioAg from previous conversations that we've had on the podcast, but it's been quite some time, Andrew. So, to dig in here, I think it would be great if you could start out by sharing a little bit more about your background and Groundwork BioAg. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so as you mentioned, my name is Andrew Duff. I'm the North American General Manager for Groundwork BioAg. I've been here for uh, one season, so since January, and um, I grew up on a family farm in the Mississippi Delta I've worked in agriculture my whole life, um, worked for large companies that launched new technologies that a lot of farmers are familiar with. Uh, when I worked for Monsanto, uh, being part of a team that launched uh, the first Roundup Ready and Bolgard traits into the market. Um, <clears throat> been fortunate to recently work in the biological biostimulant input sector and um so when I joined Groundwork BioAg, I was really drawn to the uh, specialization that the company has and the focus in manufacturing mycorrhizal uh, fungi. Um, so it's inoculant that um, is applied to corn, soybeans, cotton, rice, uh, all of our major crops that we plant in North America that um, has soil health and other benefits that 
agronomically are very important for growers. And um, our company is is laser focused on the manufacturing of that fungi, uh, which is a very complicated process and costly. Um, so we have uh, perfected the first high concentration, low cost mycorrhizal fungi uh, in the industry. The company is headquartered in Mazur, Israel, um, which I think everyone has uh Heard a lot of news about Israel recently, and uh, thoughts and uh, prayers are with them at this time. Absolutely. And I I think you touched on so many interesting points there. Uh, I'm excited to dig into this more, but the mycorrhizal inoculants that you talked about are really, that's kind of what gives Groundworks BioAg its unique special sauce, if you will, is having this product in the marketplace. Is, Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, over the past 10 years, a lot of companies have invested research and development dollars into uh, more nature-based solutions for commercial agriculture. And, you know, some of the early entrants to the market have been bacteria-based or some type of a plant extract Uh, which are good products, uh, and and there are lots of variations of bacteria and other, you know, seaweed, kelp-type products that we're finding have great benefits to the farm. Um, And so, you know, groundwork differentiates itself from all of those products and from all of those companies in that we are the only one that that focuses on this high concentration of mycorrhizal fungi. Um, which, as I mentioned, you know, requires a, a lot of equipment and specialization that, um, you know, we have uh, we, we're focused on every day. Everyone in our company um, is researching and studying the benefits, the interactions with other biological products that, um, you know, another company may be offering. Um, you know, it's our goal to figure out the, the solutions that complement each other. And that ultimately, you know, give the grower the best benefit uh, on the farm. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to dig into today, just announced, you guys are also now launching a carbon sequestration program for growers, which seems like it's happening at the perfect time, because I think there's a lot of questions around how this works and how growers are going to get paid. So let's, let's dive right in here. Talk to me about the new program you guys have launched. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're we're so excited about this because there is a very high awareness in the industry today around carbon credit programs. And as we studied the benefits of mycorrhizal fungi, um, we became aware of you know the the science that proves and shows that the main pathway for carbon into the soil is through mycorrhizal fungi. Um, so as we started really uh, studying that and researching that uh, piece of the equation, uh, became obvious to us that you know we had the ability to um, introduce a new type of carbon credit program. Um, so all of the carbon credit programs and the ways that farmers can generate income from selling carbon credits require a practice change. 
and the majority of the programs that are out there today require a practice change that honestly uh, may not fit your farming operation, whether it's cover crop or no-till. Um, those are the primary ones. Uh, while they are good options, good solutions for sequestering carbon, they they don't exactly uh, aren't easy for each farmer to implement that type of change. So with Rutella Carbon, uh, it's the industry's first carbon credit program based on mycorrhizal fungi application. Um, and so we have a, a number of growers that we have been partnering with over the past year to help us uh, build an end-to-end -end solution that has uh, worked on their farms. And we're excited to now be uh, launching that broadly into the marketplace and working with growers across a lot of different geographies and a lot of different crops to show them a new carbon credit program. So as we dive into the specifics here, Andrew, of actually how the program will work, I think the biggest question is always, what type of practices do I have to do as a farmer? And are those practices that Groundworks BioAg is going to help, you know, clear my direction or guide my direction on? Or is it something that farmers have to figure out themselves and they come to you to get payment? How does the, uh, how does it actually work? Yeah, great questions. Um, so we, we are partners in this with the grower. Um, everything from establishing the control plots that we compare treated acres against to ultimately registering uh, carbon credits and selling them to a buyer. Uh, we are involved in every step of the process. We have partnerships with other, um, other businesses that have specialty in areas that, that we do not. Um, and we've built a pretty good system that, that will work. Uh, but in regards to the grower and that partnership, um, we basically sit down with the growers. We look at their field boundaries. We determine where we can plant treated acres, and then the control plots are untreated. Uh, we come out and we sample the fields, and that's a cost that we incur on, on behalf of the grower. And um, we do all of the measurements to determine uh, post-harvest what the increase in carbon was and then ultimately register those carbon credits so that the grower can get paid for that. So it's, um, it's very simple in terms of execution uh, on the grower's behalf. Um, they focus on farming. And the only change in their farming operation is to add an application of Rutella, which can be applied in the hopper box very easily, or we have a liquid uh, form that can be applied in furrow or as a seed treatment. That does sound really easy to adopt. And, and we probably should back up a little bit too, because we've kind of flirted with what Rutella is. But again, if any of our listeners haven't heard of Rutella, one of your products, what's the science behind that? What are they using or what are they putting in the ground if they're going to adopt this? Yeah, so um, Rutella mycorrhizal inoculants are a fungus. Uh, most of the products that you see in the marketplace today are bacteria-based products. Um, bacteria can be grown in a lab and can be uh, produced um, a little more readily 
than the fungus can. And so um, Rutella is strictly mycorrhizal fungi. Um, when you apply mycorrhiza to the soil, um, you're increasing the resilience of the crop. It mitigates stress. It allows the plant to source nutrients and moisture from uh, an area beyond just the root zone. Um, so, you know, it's well documented. There's a lot of research that will um, tell you exactly what mycorrhizal fungi does in the soil and the role it plays in, in uh, productivity in the field. So, you know, we have farmed in ways that have not always been uh, beneficial to mycorrhiza um, production. And so a lot of our fields are, um, you know, their, their populations are low and they're, um, you know, needing to be reintroduced into the field to build back that life in the soil. Um, so, you know, beneficial bacteria, beneficial fungi, they're all critical parts of a healthy soil environment. And we, ref we refer to mycorrhiza as the queen of biologicals because it must be present for everything else, all of the other living organisms in the soil to do their job. Uh, if it's absent, then the other products that we're applying are not able to do effectively what we're expecting them to. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure a lot of growers are nodding their head in agreement as we're discussing this today, but this is a brand new program that you guys just launched. So if we have any farmers interested in looking at this for their 2024 growing season, how can they find out more information? Where do they go to sign up? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, as I mentioned, are very hands-on with the grower. Um, we have partnerships in the industry that are also working with us to, um, you know, work with the growers directly. Um, but you can contact us. Uh, our information is found on our website at www.groundworkbioag.com. Um, there is a contact us page that has my name and my contact information, as well as uh, colleagues here in North America. Um, so, you know, we're, we're very excited to get to know growers and understand their farming operation, uh, talk about what our plans will be with them, and explain the whole process from beginning to end, when they can expect payments from the carbon program, and, you know, what are the activities that we will implement on their behalf. Fantastic. Andrew, well, thank you so much for joining us today, and congrats on this big launch. Thank you so much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, share it with, with growers and with the industry here, and I uh, look forward to continued success. Well, there you go, listeners. Happy Halloween. Thanks for sticking around with us. Enjoy your trick-or-treating and families tonight. We'll be back again tomorrow, right, Delaney? Absolutely, Tanner. With that, should we let the people go? Let them go.